Church, if you want to follow the passage today uh, out of Scripture, then you need to turn to Luke chapter 18. And uh, it's always our strong encouragement here at St. Thomas's to have the Word of God open in front of you. Luke chapter 18. And we're going to be looking at the uh, persistent widow, verses 1 to 8. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see what she get, that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the sun of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? This is the word of the Lord. Interesting passage. So we're in the middle, if you've been with us uh, for a number of weeks, we're in the middle of a sermon series looking on prayer, and uh, we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, line by line, looking at a larger passage of Scripture uh, as we ask God, God teaches to pray. The disciples ask Jesus that very question, and don't we? We want to know, don't we, how to pray. Three weeks ago, James uh, looked at why the disciples asked Jesus uh, to teach them to pray. And it was the only thing uh, that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them uh, to do. We were reminded, as James spoke, that the Lord's Prayer is not about what we need, but who we need. Two weeks ago, Mim spoke to us on adoration as we looked at the line, Your Father in Heaven. Hallowed be your name. We were were reminded uh, that as we worship God and thank him for his goodness, that our whole lives uh, are recontextualized in the light of who God is. And last week we looked at, give us today our daily bread. And Ben reminded us that although God knows everything we need, which he does, he wants us to Ask him for what we need because it reminds us that all we need comes from God, that he is sovereign and that he alone is all we need. 
And so today we're looking at the, the line uh, and the theme of intercession. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And so we're going to uh, look at Luke 18 together uh, as we unpack that line together from the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but before we dive in, it's our custom uh, here at St. Thomas's, before we uh, delve into the message, uh, to pray together that our hearts and minds would be opened uh, to the truth and the promise of Scripture. Uh, so can I invite you, uh, as is custom, to stand. We're going to pray together. Uh, we're going to simply pray the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Do take a seat. So intercession, what does this mean? I know when I was uh, new to faith, about 10, 11 years old, and it came to the intercessions at church, everyone in the choir stalls, because I was a choir boy, just went, it was like an audible sigh. Well, what is intercession? The dictionary definition of intercession is the action of intervening on behalf of another. Intercession is when we ask God to break in and intervene. What's intervening? To take part in something so as to prevent or alter a result or course of events. So what we're doing is we're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. The question for us is, why then do we need to intercede? If God knows everything, why do we need to intercede? We need to intercede because the world in which we live in is messed up. It's sinful. And because you and I have played our part in making that so. We have sinned. And so we've tarnished the world that God has so beautifully made. So when we ask, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is, we know we've messed up. We know that we've got things wrong. But please, God, please restore these things to how they should be, how you intended them, God, to be. Karl Barth, who is, uh, or was a Swiss, a Swiss theologian, said this. He said, to clasp the hands in prayer. Why don't we just do that now? I can't really do it, but, you know, just clasp your hands in prayer. Like you did at primary school, is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we were known here at St. Thomas's as a church that took its part, played its part in an uprising? Wow against the disorder of the world in which we live in. That we would be a church who was known for praying for our city. A church 
that was known for praying for poverty to end, for justice for the poor. What if we were known as the the people that prayed for racial injustice to end? For our city, Newcastle, to be thriving and full of peace. We read these biographies, don't we, of, uh, of people. And we often conclude, this person was known for. We read the history of, of organizations and, and countries, nations, and we conclude, this was known for. Well, what will we here at St. Thomas's be known for? We have this vision, don't we, here? We have a vision to be loving Newcastle, to be building community, and to be following Jesus. Now, if this is the vision that we want to live out day in and day out, then we need to be in tune with the one who is for that vision. The one who is God of provision. Pete Gregg puts it like this in the prayer course, which you should check out, by the way. It's all free online. The content is fantastic. Uh, Phil just led us in in that prayer um, just before. Pete Gregg says, the hinge of history is the bended knee. The hinge of Newcastle, folks, is the bended knee. And we know, don't we, um, that before any major move of God, wherever that is in the world, that there's always a move of prayer. Rach and I went uh, to the Hebrides Uh, on our honeymoon. Uh, It was gifted to us and it was a wonderful uh, experience. It took 10 hours to get there, uh, but we we made most of the the car journey by opening all of our wedding cards. So that kind of made the time pass. It's a beautiful place. Beautiful. And a revival happened there not too long ago. The Hebridean Revival. We know, don't we, that prayer makes all the difference. It's not us who makes the difference, but it's God. John Piper put it like this, prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. In other words, we've messed up, but in our praying, we're saying to God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. We recognize that God alone can break in and make a difference and that the thing we need most of all is his kingdom. We don't need my, our kingdom, or any other kingdom that the world may offer us. It's the kingdom of heaven that we need. And this prayer is an admission that the only kingdom that is good for us is the kingdom of God. Because when we try to build our own kingdoms in life, it doesn't end well. It always ends goes wrong. 
As we unpack this passage together, we're going to explore some of the revival stories that I touched on before, which are incredibly exciting. But do have this passage, Luke 18, open in front of you. I'm going to look at three different things today. The first thing is this, that we must pray. Secondly, we must remember God's nature. And thirdly, Jesus is coming back and his kingdom will come. So let's look at the first thing. Pray. Pray and don't give up. Now, here's a disclaimer. I, I am not the world's best prayer. Okay? I'm not pretending. Uh, I'm learning just as much as you, and I want to be much better than I am. We're in this together. Okay? But verse 1, Jesus teaches us that this parable, he teaches it so that we, we won't give up. He wants to encourage us that we wouldn't give up praying. So when we look around at the world and see that everything is, you know, there's lots of mess around us, it would be so easy, wouldn't it, to, be get, to get overwhelmed and daunted by, daunted by it and just to give up. But no. We might ask ourselves, this is so bad. Can God really make a difference in this situation? And yet Jesus wants us to keep on being persistent in prayer. As Ben said to us last week, in prayer, consistency beats intensity every time. Jesus simply doesn't want us to give up on prayer. When I was a youth leader back in Beverly, my hometown, we spent every Easter in a period of extended prayer. We used to have 24-7 prayer events. And Pete, who's my good friend, he's here today. And we had to share the burden of that because, to be quite honest, uh, as a, a youth worker, if you put on a 27, uh, 24-7 event for young people, you can guarantee they're going to be there uh, for as much as the 24 hours, seven days a week, as they possibly can. So we had to get the full thing covered uh, between us. It was simply exhausting, okay? The flip side of that was that it was so an intense a period of time of building community together and being persistent in prayer, that it it was almost, it was a thin place. You felt the presence of God. We were assured that the Spirit was with us. And that wonderful, miraculous things happened, that our discipleship was stretched, it was deepened, that our hearts, our minds and eyes were opened to the wonder and reality of who God is. It was the persistence, even when it was hard, when it was exhausting, when you just wanted to pack up and go home and rest. It was the persistence that broke in. I touched on the Hebridean revival. How did that come about? There was a small cottage on the, on the island by the roadside in the village of uh, Babas. And in that cottage lived two elderly sisters called Peggy and Christine Smith. They were 84 and 82 years of age. Wow. Peggy was blind and her sister almost was bent double with arthritis. They were unable to attend public worship uh, as we are today. So their humble cottage became a sanctuary where they met God. 
And to them came a promise. God said to them, I will pour water upon him, the one who they felt was calling to lead and usher in a revival on the islands. That is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And what happened? Exactly that. God anointed a man called Duncan Campbell, who was resistant, reluctant to accept the commissioning of God and the persistence of the two sisters to lead a revival on the island. But he did. He was obedient. And he ushered in a move of the Holy Spirit. Revival broke out in 1949. I was doing a little bit of research, and you know, um, the last revival in England was exactly 100 years ago, in 1921, in Lowestoft. 1921, three years after the outbreak of the Spanish flu, a worldwide pandemic, three years after the end of the Great War. Now we can, to some extent, imagine how the nation was feeling at that time full of anxiety and exhaustion, full of bereavement. hundred years on, 2021. Mm. But it gets even more interesting. This is what I discovered a couple of days ago. Here's the thing. There was a young curate, a trainee uh, priest in Suffolk who experienced the impact of this revival in Lowestoft. And he shared the passion of that revival that he experienced with his young son. His young son was called David Pitches. David Pitches went on to be a bishop in Chile where he saw a move of God. Later, he was a vicar of St. Andrew's Chorleywood. He became a catalyst in the beginnings of new wine the festival, gathering thousands of Christians. He was a catalyst in the beginnings of Soul Survivor, which came out of new wine. He shaped the thinking of leaders at HTB who developed the Alpha Course, all these wonderful things. He had close friendships with John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Church worldwide. He had close friendships with Sandy Miller, HTB, close friendship with David Watson, who's the vicar at St. Michael Le Belfry in York. You see all of the connections? By the way, 30 of us moved from St. Michael Le Belfry a couple of years ago to establish with you guys St. Thomas's Newcastle as a resource church, a church that would plant churches. Do you see how God interweaves We're part of this beautiful, rich heritage. All of us. Do not underestimate it. If God did it before, he can do it again. We're all part of God's big story. You and I are in this together so that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Now moving on to verses 2 to 3. In these verses, we're introduced to a corrupt judge. And a widow. The judge is corrupt, 
because he neither feared God or wanted to do right by people. The widow is poor, helpless, and alone. She most likely has no money, no family, and the judge in this circumstance is her only source of hope and help. Now, we're supposed to read this passage, you and I, and see ourselves as the widow. And with this, Jesus is communicating this, that we have no real source of help except God. You see, if we want to see the world change for the better, we have no real source of help except God. Isn't this the gospel that we believe in, that we proclaim to the world? That on our own, we can do nothing. We can't change anything. We can't save ourselves. We only have one source and hope. God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, when we get the gospel, we understand that it is God alone who saves us. So if we want to be people of intercession, we need to be like the widow who is desperate and keeps asking for God's kingdom to come for justice. Going back to when I was a a youth worker, after most of uh, our sessions, we, the team came back to my house and we, had, um, we, we always like, shared food together. We debriefed and just had a, a really good time of coming back down to earth and building community, having some good laughs. And um, we did this most weeks. It was great fun. Uh, and one particular week, it, it, it was late in the evening. We'd had a great evening at youth group. Everyone left my house. And on the way home... Uh, one of my friends who was on the, uh, a, a young team leader um, had a very serious car crash. Um, to this day, no one really understands what went wrong, uh, but the car was absolutely demolished. Uh, it was incredibly serious. It was on all the local news broadcasts the next day. And um, obviously that was a, a real shock to us. And to be honest, it was touch and go whether or not he would survive. Uh, Yet God's grace really shone through within seconds of him having that car crash. He happened to have the accident outside of an ambulance station. An ambulance station where there was, just happened to be an anaesthetist on duty who was at his side within minutes to be able to put him to sleep so that they could... um, you know, that do what they needed to do safely. God was shining brightly even in the darkest moments from the very beginning. Our response, my response, when you, you're holding something like this, when it's touch and go, and there's a, such a close community, particularly of young people uh, who just do not know how to respond in this situation, the only thing we could do was pray. And so we put out a notice to, to his school and to his family and said, look, we're, we're opening up a chapel in our church. Come and use it. Uh, just pray. And we made sure that we were present uh, throughout the days and into the evenings whilst he was in hospital. And a couple of days into his hospital stay, um, someone within the church who was a medical professional 
and uh, had also been partaking in our prayer events, took me aside and said, Lee, it's not looking good. I think maybe you just need to um, tame it down a little bit. I was like, what? And my res- I was so angry inside. I was like, how dare you? I believe in a God who can raise dead people to life. If he can do that, he can surely restore this young man to full health. And I looked at this person and I just said, we're going to pray even harder. And that's exactly what we did. I forgot how much time passed, but within a couple of months, it was my joy and privilege to walk back into church one Sunday morning with this young guy who was restored, who was healed completely. It was simply a miracle what happened. Persistence in prayer. Tim Keller says to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Secondly, we need to remember God's nature in all of this. Now, the judge in the story is obviously not supposed to represent God. That uh, could be a misunderstanding. That's not the case. God is not corrupt. But Jesus introduces us to this judge to make a point. So if we take a look at verses four and five. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. You get the sense, don't you, that the judge kind of gives in. The only reason is because she is so annoying. I'm sure we can all empathize with that situation. But perhaps if she was a relative of his or had a little bit more money, he would have given her what she wanted sooner. If this judge feared God, he would have helped her quicker. You see, it's a biblical command in the Old Testament law to help the poor and the widow. And this then is why Jesus asks in verse 7, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Now that's a rhetorical question from Jesus. And the answer is, of course, God will bring about justice. Of course he will not keep putting them off. God is the opposite of corrupt. So if a widow is a persistent prayer with an evil judge, how can we not be persistent in prayer with a perfect father and Judge. We've got to remember God's nature. He is so good as we've been singing this morning. Part of our story moving here to Newcastle was there was a a stage of reluctance to be obedient. 
we didn't want to move to a city. We were comfortable where we were. We liked our home. We liked our jobs. We liked our friendship, community. It was all good. But God was nudging us and prompting us to the point where we couldn't ignore it. We had to do something about it. And even though we felt that we heard God was leading us to Newcastle and to to St. Thomas's to be with you guys, there was always that, "Mm, God, really? I'm a bit fearful of that. If I'm going to move, you need to deliver with this. And you know what? God's goodness shone through so brightly. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will give all the things that you need and that's surely what God did for us. Before we moved from our house in in York, um, which we didn't want to move from, the Lord put a a massive rainbow over our house and we was like, thank you God, You've, you've got us. You've got us in your hands. When we came to Newcastle uh, to look at the house we, we live in now, um, our girls came with us, and the owner of the property was so kind, and um, she, she even prepared some toys for the girls to play with whilst we looked around the house. And uh, as we finished looking around, um, we got in the car outside the property, and the owner ran out to us, to the car, with a book. And she said, you forgot this. I want to gift it to you. Noah's Ark. With a huge rainbow on the front. And Rachel and I just looked at each other and went. And this person had no idea. Remember God's nature. He's always good. And third and finally, Jesus is coming. And his kingdom will come. You know, a few days after Jesus told this parable, Jesus knew that he would be dead. He knew that he was to bear all of the injustices of our sin and deal with them by death on the cross. And so Jesus talks of his return as the day when the new kingdom will be ushered in to set all things right, to make all things new. We know that a day is coming when there will be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. What held Jesus there on the cross? Our sin. We deserve the death that he endured, but he took it for you and for me. He paid the cost for our wrong. We know that. Jesus died for us. But how does that affect the way we should live our lives day in and day out? Well, in telling this parable to the disciples, Jesus is giving them quite simply a strategy for dealing with this time in between of the now and the not yet. What's the strategy? Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Be persistent. In prayer. Do you know our prayer lives are a good indicator as to the health of our faith in Jesus? And this is what Jesus is challenging us all with when he ends this parable. He asks in verse 8 However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What a question. 
What a question. And as we read that ourselves, doesn't it, it strike kind of a, a holy fear within us that when Jesus returns, because he is going to return, will he find faith in us? You see, when we give up on prayer, as I so often do, we don't believe in God for who he is. That's what we're doing when we give up. And that's why prayer is absolutely pivotal to our growth as a life, as a follower of Jesus. Draw close to him. That's what prayer does. It brings us closer into the presence of Jesus. It encourages us to be completely dependent on him. It reminds us that it is his kingdom we are praying for. And it's only when we call on the name of the Lord will we be saved. And so in these verses from Luke, what Jesus is saying the fruit of faith is, He is saying that the sign of faith is being persistent in prayer, in praying for a breakthrough, for justice, for the kingdom of God to come to earth as in heaven. So let me ask us all here and at home today, where are you praying for the kingdom of God to come on earth as in heaven, in Newcastle as in heaven. Where are you praying for that? We're going to respond uh, now and uh, we we are going to pray. But I just wondered if you want to um, have a posture of prayer then you, you may want to kneel, you may just want to remain seated, perhaps even just bow your heads. But whatever helps you get in a posture of, of prayerfulness, can I invite you to do that? Whatever works for you. We're going to pray. But I think there are probably three, thing, three specific ways in which we can respond today. Don't give up. And perhaps you're here today and you're listening and you just know in your heart that you've gone through a period of giving up in prayer. You know, God is inviting you back to a life of prayer today. He's not a corrupt judge. He wants you to be persistent. He loves that. He longs for that. So draw back to the presence of Jesus. Commit afresh to a life of prayer today. Maybe secondly, you've, um, you see yourself as the widow in this passage. That you have no hope except for God. Well, that's right. Where's the, where there's despair in your life? Where there's hopelessness? Where you feel helpless? Turn to God today. 
Maybe there's a situation, a circumstance going on in your life. Tend to God. And perhaps you need to start praying as if your only hope is God. Our hope isn't in people. Isn't in our intellect. Isn't in our skills and abilities and talents. God is our only hope. Turn to him. And lastly, today is an invitation to trust in the goodness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will give you all the things you need. Let's just remain in that posture of prayer. Here and at home. Let's pray.